This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. Alright guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast. This week we're actually getting a little bit more personal, less financial. We did an episode similar to this before when we talked about the mental health aspects of being a vendor. And we're actually just literally diving into our personal favorite memories of Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Be it as a vendor, as a player, as someone just hanging out. Uh, could be Gen Con, I should say, not just Grand Prix, but large events in general. Yeah. Just good times that we had associated with bigger magic events or people in magic. Uh, just to kind of break up a little bit of the tedium and monotony and honestly give you a little bit more perspective on what vendors enjoy at these events, what got us passionate about what it is we do and what got us into the passion that lets us make this podcast. So kind of a personal touch on it. And with that, let's get started. Uh, so for me, a lot of what I'm going to talk about today <clears throat> is primarily based on uh, my time behind the booth, you know, being a vendor. I played in a number of Grand Prix uh, leading up to uh, my first vending opportunity, but those memories are fairly separated from, you know, being a vendor. I knew some of the people that were vending, but I never really hung out with them, especially when I was playing down in the Boston area. See the same people all the time, and, you know, you wind up seeing some pros like Andrew Stokinger behind a booth, and, you know, you know him from the area because you're playing down there, he's playing up here, vice versa. But uh, for me, my vending opportunities really started in, in 2012 um, around New Phyrexia, and it's just kind of blase at that point. I did a little bit of work at the New Phyrexia pre-release, but my first, you know, big memory um, being a vendor, the first thing that really comes to mind is uh, about a year, year and a half later at GP Miami. And we've mentioned this GP Miami before on the cast because it was the next GP after the first Grand Prix Vegas. And this was pretty infamous as a Grand Prix because not a lot of players went because they were tapped out from Vegas. That was a destination Grand Prix race. So financially, they're toast. Similarly with vendors. One vendor had a booth, didn't even show up. They just spent their time on the beach. Right? So we're at GP GP Miami, and it's like kind of cascading memories. And this is in no particular order, right? So uh, we know Josh McLean. Uh, He's been coming up. We've been keeping our eye on him. This is the first time we sponsored Josh McLean. And he makes it all the way to the finals of this Grand Prix. And I believe it's a standard Grand Prix. He plays Reed Duke for the first time here, sponsored by us wearing our shirt. It's the first time I'd ever sponsored uh, a player as a vendor. And it was kind of great to see that blossom in front of us. Josh would then go on to play Reed Duke at Grand Prix Detroit, September, same year, sponsored by us, and won it with Pod. So good on him for that. Um, As I mentioned already, one vendor uh, bought a spot. Uh, we know who they were. We knew why they were there. And they just chilled on the beach the entire weekend. They came in at one point just in flip-flops and bathing suits just to say, hey, and uh, suck it. Uh, and then that uh, pair of vendors, I believe it was one of their birthdays. And this is like the, the clearest memory I have. And I couldn't find this receipt, but I, I was trying my, my damnedest. You know, it's eight years old at this point <laughs> in time. And uh, my girlfriend at the time, you know, asked, like, what do you do at these events? Because she, she'd played the game and she'd seen some vendors locally. But she's like, what do you do? Like, what goes on there? And I explained it to her and I sent some photos back and forth. And then we went to Red Steakhouse to start the night for a vendor celebration. And the liquor was kept off the main receipt. But when we got the main receipt, I took a photograph of it for her because it was a five-digit bill. And it was every vendor in the room, save for, like, one. And I think I just sent it to her, sent it to her with the... Uh, the text eat yep (laughs) that's pretty accurate and and the rest of that grand prix was uh, a blur we had a great spot in the room which we thought would kind of not work out for us it was like you walk in and we were just right there so it was just wire to wire busy um spent the night chilling on the beach but like that grand prix surfaces a bunch of memories of some of like the best associated uh with an event I think one of my favorites, similarly eating, uh, was actually in 2018. It was Grand Prix Seattle with Moonbase. Okay. Uh, And it was the first double GP I'd vended. Uh, Obviously, the first one I'd vended with my company. And it was just a bunch of us that went there and hung out. And I told everyone, look, here's the deal. 
Um, this is tradition. You know, we've done a few GPs before, but never a double. Yep. Uh, Sunday of the event, I take everyone out. We eat a nice dinner on the company. And I'd picked out a steakhouse for us to go to. And someone on the way out there jokingly said, what happens if I get ketchup on my steak? And I said, you pay for your own. Uh, because I am a firm believer that you do not flavor steak. Yeah. And I love steaks, Pittsburgh, black and blue. Just I want you to gently describe the concept of warmth to it in a soft voice and then put it on a plate for me. That's just <laughs> how I want it. I'm, I'm a purist. So we had a killer weekend. It was yep. awesome. It was actually the weekend that I finished vintage shops as well. Um, so that was really cool. Met some of the people that I eventually went on to work for and work with at other events. It was just a really good networking opportunity. One of the bad things that happened, and this is something that is way less memorable, despite the fact that it should be more memorable. Mm -hmm. I had a fully foil pauper Delver list. Oh, geez. Uh, fully invoed out with 7th edition counter spells, simplified Chinese 5th edition brainstorms, which are the white border version with a set symbol for 5th edition. It was yep. the first set ever printed with a set symbol. And the playset of Judge Bolts were signed by Rush. I took it out to show someone and it went missing, but that's not what sticks out about it. Uh, similarly, eating is one of the best things you can it do really generally is. when you travel. Not to mention at a Grand Prix. So we go to this steakhouse, everyone orders their food, and my employee who made the joke about the ketchup asked for ketchup on his steak. Okay. There it is. So he, he puts ketchup on his steak. And when the time comes for the bill, she goes, is this going to be altogether or separate? And I said, it'll be altogether except for his steak and made him pay for his own steak. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And that was, that was something that stuck around. Like that was a joke and a meme inside the company. And we still joke about it when we get together all the time. That was like, you know, take your steak serious, your steak seriously. Yeah. You're eating on company dime. Take it even more seriously, please. Yeah, please, please, please. Yeah, exactly. It, it's weird to think about like at all these events, like you don't get time to catch up on the setup day. You know, maybe no. at night if you've priced ahead of time, but like, you know, you really only get to see your friends, your your other vendor friends, um, generally like Saturday and Sunday night, and usually somebody has kind of taken it upon themselves to put together like that big meal on Sunday for all the yep. vendors, and it's really, it, it it doesn't feel like a boys club, but it it kind of is because if you're not a vendor, a friend of a vendor, right, you're not going to be there, yeah. and you'll shut down a restaurant. And it's always a great time. Toronto, the last Toronto that I went to, we basically took over a bar, but that's because Alex from Channel Fireball was there. Yeah. But that, that's that's not a story I'm going to touch on. I will touch on a Toronto, but not that one. Um, so uh, 2014 uh, was the first time I was actually asked to vend a, a large uh, anime show. And I'd done Anime Boston's before, I had vended Anime Central in Chicago before, and I've been to New York Comic Con as uh, a patron, and I've since been to, to PAX in multiple capacities as well. But 2014 was the first year I did Anime Expo out in LA, Ooh. and oh, it was a beautiful event, but this yeah. event is attended reliably by over 100,000 people, okay? So it is overwhelmingly large. And we walked into the convention center that was just dedicated to vendors and where the attendees pick up their badges. And we walk in on the top floor, and so we just get to see the sea of people waiting in line for their badges. And uh, they had, like, obviously it's not to scale, but it would it had to be close to, like, uh, a 25% scale Shenlong from Dragon Ball Z just inflated like the, the just the the dragon that appears when you collect the Dragon Balls on Earth just inflated and floating over that room and it was a sight to behold right so we we got in early because you have to uh, you can't set up day of it's just not a thing you can't get in there early day of uh, but so we're in there uh, a day early and uh, we're, we start setting up our booths and we're actually not that far away from large booths like Konami Riot Crunchyroll and these are booths that don't just have tables. They have fully interactive events. And this is when Riot was holding League of Legends games on site. So they oh, would invite man. audience members up. And you could tell when it was going to happen. This happened at New York Comic Con and PAX <clears> as well. <throat> if you were in the area and you 
weren't listening for it. You could tell because your cell signal got destroyed. There were so many cell phones walking into that one area. It just tanked. So we got we got to see these exquisite and gigantic booth setups. Uh, the entire event, just insane madness, but some of the most fun I've ever had. It's like 10 to 6 every day. It's... It passes by incredibly quickly. I don't remember eating at the event once. I only remember the struggle to try and get to our booth to the bathroom because Riot was in the way. And then yeah. having to find an alternative method to get to the bathroom that didn't take 15 minutes. And um, it, this really kind of put into perspective for me how small magic is as a hobby. We get how many people at a Grand Prix before things sh shut down. Like what, was, what were the numbers? Like 2,000 on-prem? 2000 yeah. plus but they weren't all there for the main they were there for the sides right anime of boston is a smaller event and that gets about twenty-five thousand people you yeah. know the scope of anime conventions compared to magic and where wasi wants to take this is incredible and that's always something that sticks out to me and i appreciate when i go to these large events it feels like it's less work at these large events because not everybody's there to deal with the card vendor they're there for the event as the whole but it really just kind of goes to show like what we could have you know where we're trying to go as a hobby and an interest and i think that's really important to remember and keep in mind you know as a vendor like they have a vision and hopefully that's where we're trying to go you know it's it's wild to think of the problems with like you touch on bathrooms reminded me of one of my favorite gen con memories where i ate some bad Mexican the night before and waiting in line uh, because it, incidentally at, at these events, every bathroom has a line. Yes. When it's not a Grand Prix male, female, urinal stall doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Every single one has a line. Uh, Gen Con two years ago, Vin for many had some bad Mexican the night before I'm waiting in line and shit my pants while I'm wearing my Yeezys, Yeezys yeah. and wearing shorts. So it just dribbles down my leg onto my Yeezys, but I digress. And it's that's one of those things that really puts into perspective like how huge these events are and like really makes you appreciate the finer things, like knowing where the good bathroom in yes. a convention center is. Oh, yeah. Because after you've been to a few Grand Prix that are in the same convention center, you know exactly that's my bathroom. Where you're going. It's clean. There's nobody there, and I can be in and out in 30 seconds. Yep. It may take me 10 minutes to walk there but I'm not going to be like hovering over the stall afraid to catch a disease. And that makes all the difference in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. That's I, I love the big events like that. Uh, my, another one of mine, 2014 as well. Uh, this was Gen Con that year was a couple weeks prior to my surgery to okay. have my tumor removed. I had a brain glioblastoma, went there with some friends and I was vending and was freaking out. So that year there was actually a citywide biker convention going on at the same time. And when I say bikers, I mean like Harleys. Yeah, yeah. So it was this weird conglomeration of Gen Con crowd and hardened Harley crowd. And there actually was a decent amount of overlap between the two. There were plenty of Harley riders that were there to play D&D all weekend. So I'm going out to dinner with one of my friends afterwards, uh, Joey Miss Bagel, and I am like freaking out, anxious about my surgery. So we make a bet that unfortunately the terms have still not been honored. But the bet was if I live through surgery, I had to get his nickname, Blowy Jizz Pagel, tattooed on my body somewhere. So it's going to be on my shoulder blades like the Archer tattoo. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's Woodhouse and Dickie yep. on his shoulders. Uh, and if I lost, he would sell everything and give my daughter the money. Fortunately, I lived. Uh, but it's just one of those things that's one of the more, like, humanizing elements of what we do. That, yeah. like, at the end of the day, yeah, we're all there to make money and everything. We're doing our things, slinging cardboard, hanging out, whatever. But you actually do make a lot of really good friends through this. This oh, yeah. is something that you meet people that you talk to forever that are just always part of your life. And... That was probably like of any moment. That's the one that most encapsulates, you know, that's similar to what Ephro said, you know, I can quit magic, but I can't quit the gathering. Yep. And it's it's all about the gathering and those Sunday dinners and everything. And that's that's one of those moments that will just always stick out forever yep. to me. It's sitting there making that bet with him in a biker bar surrounded by a bunch of dude in Harleys pouring us shots 
because they wanted to get into Gen Con, and that's where it was. Yeah. Uh, I'll skip ahead in my timeline uh, to give you something similar. So uh, GP Montreal, I believe, is 2015. Um, hmm. Standard event, standard Montreal. Uh, Friday was fine. I believe it was Saturday. I woke up, made it to the event, no problem. And uh, this was a two-person booth. So I was basically on sales, other person on buys. And I just... I picked something up and I just PTFO'd on site. Um, I slept below the booth, like under one of the tables for a bit. I slept in the lobby until security like nudged me. And then I went back to the booth. But what I didn't realize was when I basically PTFO'd the first time, the owner of Fusion Games, uh, Richard Dong, had come over and sat down at our booth and just took my position, no questions asked. He was just... (laughs) amazing yeah i he's like you look like shit i saw you lay down i didn't see you get back up so i just came over and filled in because we had the extra body (laughs) and it's just that humanizing moment of like you know we're there we're no we know each other because everybody does these things for so long your friends you're there to help out it's not an animus relationship you have with anybody so be a, be a human you know yeah the what are, it's like the humans of new york account but it's like the humans of magic vendoring you know magic that's what the gathering yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I, that's I'll, funny. I'll jump back to the toronto 2014 story though so it was montreal 2015 this is toronto for 2014 this is the first toronto i did so we go up there and we're 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 hard restocking the website and our goal is near mint nothing nothing worse and that was a directive given out by our uh, our lead buyer and show lead day one. One of the buyers buys an HP DRS, Deathrite Shaman, and puts it in their buy stack and just puts it on the table. And at this, at this point, our show lead is uh, sorting. And they catch it. And they walk over and they know exactly who it is. And they just hold the card like, what the fuck is this? And the guy was like, it's a Deathrite Shaman. The card's super hot right now. We just put it in the case, flip it. And the lead was like, no, this is not what I asked for. And rips it into four pieces and puts it back on the sorting table. All right. Unbeknownst to us, one of the other other vendors saw it, snuck behind our booth, took the four pieces, managed to get them together in a sleeve, and put them in their case. (laughs) And... That Deathrite Shaman sold from vendor to vendor to vendor for the rest of the weekend until it came back to us and somebody was just like, here, we think you left this behind. <laughs> That's amazing. Mm. I, I love the pranks that vendors just play on each other like oh, that. Yeah. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, Again, just humanizing the vendor side of things. Yeah, I it's we're, we're there to have fun. I... Uh, one of my other favorite ones, this was, so this, this came to a culmination in Vegas 19. So the Vegas you and I met yeah, at actually. Two years ago. Uh, but prior to that, it was, uh, I want to say Oklahoma City or one of the Texas Grand Prix that year. At any rate, okay. uh, I was working for Moose at one event. At Vegas, I was working for Mini. So the event prior, Josh Wolf, one of the guys at Moose, I was like, he was talking about, oh, I don't play this game, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's just about the numbers, whatever. And there's a lot of vendors that are like that. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. What would, what would it take you? What would it take to get you to play a game of Magic? And he goes, I don't know, probably like a nice meal. I was like, all right, that's doable. Vegas is coming up, right? And I knew full well many would reimburse me for the meal at Vegas. Yep. And I knew full well I was getting the first Michelin meal of my life in Vegas. So I made him a bet. I said, all right, how about this? We'll play a game. Uh, if I win, you buy me dinner. If you win, I buy you dinner. And he said, sure, absolutely. So the only thing that we had, that literally all of the people working that booth at Moose that weekend, the only thing we had multiple decks for, and I had Legacy, Modern, and Pauper on me. The only thing we had multiple decks for was Tiny Monocles. Oh, the Alpha Commander. Vintage Bandless Tiny Leaders. Yeah. So, full power everything. Uh, I end up getting 
and we roll the die to see who gets what decks. Yep. So he ends up with Derevi, which turns out Tinker Time Bolt with Derevi as a commander is pretty good. More on that later. I end up with a Vile Smasher Thrasios lands. So by turn four, Josh has assembled a board state that is Derevi, Voltaic Key, one of the Moxen. He has Tinker in hand, which I know because I cast Thought Seize on him. Yep. Uh, and some Blands. And I have a Baleful Strix. He doesn't attack for seven turns. Because he's afraid of the Baleful Strix. Because he doesn't understand that Baleful Strix just gets tapped down by Derevi. He literally oh has God. the win in hand for like ten turns. And it's great because everyone, literally everyone that worked the booth that weekend at this point knows about the bet, is watching us, is yeah. watching the games. And every single time he takes a turn, it's just losing their minds laughing and i'm like i don't i don't understand like i i i'm mind blown like i don't get what's going on here at all and eventually bernie goes over his shoulder and goes do you know what derevi does and he goes yeah it untap stuff or tap stuff and bernie goes oh okay yep you sure do yep you know what it does <laughs> three more turns 13 turns from the time he has this. He reads the text on Derevi and goes, oh, I just tap your Baleful Strix down and go infinite off Tinker, don't I? When I get Time Vault. And I'm like, oh my god, finally, you've got it. <laughs> so, like, here we are after almost literally 45 minutes in this game. And I'm trying to wrap my brain around how does he not see this. That he finally understands I have the win. I just Tinker into Time Vault and go. Hallelujah. So... He does it. Vegas rolls around. We go to Nobu, and we get a $600 Michelin meal comped. And it was, like, one of... It, it was obviously one of the better meals I've ever had in my oh, life. Yeah, but it was sure. more about the lead-in of, like... I. It is so bizarre to me that you can be so good with the numbers of this game and not understand how to RTFC. Oh, that's yeah. That's literally all it was. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. like... We'll still joke about it all the time. I'll be like, man, this is just like that time you had me dead on board for 13 turns, isn't it? And like, come on, man. That's that's just, I. it's a great story. I love it. Oh, I, yeah. How do you not see it? But ah! he's, he's not the only person I know like that. There's another vendor I know that I haven't heard from uh, in a while that has uh, the the fairy on Thoughtseize tie, uh, tattooed around their ear. They've got a Chandra tattoo, like a bunch of magic tattoos. Uh, vendor from California, and you just talk to him, and he's like, I fucking hate this game, man. I <laughs> I don't want to play it. I don't play it. I hate the cards. I hate everything. And you're like, dude. <laughs> you're just... what, what about the tattoos? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. I, I love it. And there's there's so many people like that in the hobby. It's oh, just, yeah. It's it's amazing. It's yeah. phenomenal. All right, I got one more story. Uh, and sure. then if you got any more, just ramble about one more as well. right, yeah cool. so uh my last story and uh, we still haven't caught up to present times it's not like there haven't been any good stories in the interim it's just when i think back on my vending it's like these are all really unique the rest of it does eventually start to blend together of like meals and meetings and hanging out there are discussions and things that i really enjoyed grand prix nebraska for instance we uh, as vendors we talked about the bnr list that was right before Treasure Cruise was banned, and we were talking about, like, Jace and Stoneforge coming off the ban. list. great conversations, but not, you know, something we need to uh, go into here. This is Grand Prix Pittsburgh, and I believe it's 2016 because Splinter Twin has yet to be held political prisoner. Mm. So, uh, three-day event in Pittsburgh, three-person booth. Uh, the event's winding down on Sunday, and uh, a number of high-profile independent vendors wind up chilling at our booth they weren't there to do anything really that weekend besides just kind of hang out uh, but then there though a number uh, of you know not tier two is not the right word here because they were on the gravy train they're just not like lsv and huey jensen names uh, but they start to coalesce at the booth for the entirety of the day just talking shop about modern and this grixis twin list that they have so we're just at the booth doing work all day long, and we just have infinite traffic because of the gaggle of pros just chilling around 
the booth and this is the first time that it's ever like really happened that we just have you know more pros just piling up and piling up and piling up because these like independent vendors from the midwest showed up with them came the people that played at their stores that were on the train and you know just kind of brought with them eventually more people more people more pros and we just at towards the end of sunday we were like the only booth that still had traffic because we had pros just kind of mingling at the booth and it was like really exciting to see that and the kind of draw that these personalities can have and for me even as an attendee i never really saw pros hang out at a booth even if they they knew the vendor you know the vendor was a sponsor etc usually between rounds what i've seen is pros get out of the hall regardless of whether or not they have a smoking habit and go outside to do that or not they just get out of the hall until the next round starts they just kind of disassociate from the event but you know so the, the first time it happened it was super exciting also at that event the second time i've ever seen anybody running around the hall scrambling for a card the first time was the corset after Avison Restored, where somebody was running around the hall looking for as many bonfire of the damned as they could possibly get. This time it was one fellow looking for foil stormcrows. <laughs> An yeah. ask I was able to fulfill because I just happened to find mine. <laughs> nice. I that foil stormcrow is one of my favorite old school MTG memes by far. Oh yeah. Uh, just great i uh it, it's you know the the pro personality the cult of personality is something that's really different than it used to be mm -hmm. uh obviously you know now internet social media whatever you get to watch nasif stream but you know back in the day seeing that stuff was just wild you yeah. know you just you just recognize or hear a name or something or you'd walk around and someone may have played like finkel or kai in a round and they would have been like dude that's that's him that's the guy i played that's kai boot that's the john finkel yeah and that, that was really cool. And I remember uh, I starstruck. I love Finkel. He's great. I had him sign a foil psychotog for the memes because it would beat him with psychotog. So oh. why wouldn't you do that? Uh, <laughs> I actually have two related stories. One is I have four, I have four Shadow Mage Infiltrators. Uh, they're all signed by Finkel now. The first yeah. one I bought was signed and numbered by Finkel. So I don't know what event it came from. Ooh. Okay. The other three I got him to sign under the guise of like, hey, match the others they yeah. don't need to be numbered but just finish the set the yeah, other the, set. the other was extended 2008 so mirrodin is out the extended format hasn't rotated yet the deck de choix at this event is mono blue storm so sapphire um what were they from Ted? medallion sapphire Medallions, medallion yeah. mind's desire orms chant whatever it's all there right uh, this is before Grand Prix Columbus, the Affinity Grand Prix, and the reason why Osep Labadovitz, uh, Labadovitz no longer does coverage. I got yeah. Osep to sign my Arcbound Ravagers. Nice. And he was like, these are just going to go down in value. You know that, right? It's like, yeah, but I grew up in Jersey. I play uh, at the LGS in the town you live in. You know, yeah. Just for shits and giggles. And then a couple months later, he does the fantastic Grand Prix Columbus coverage of the Affinity versus Red Deck Wind Finals. And if you haven't seen it, it is glorious. You can find the highlights on YouTube. It's like five it's to seven good. minutes long. <laughs> I, uh, I actually ended up incidentally out of a collection by at one point, a Force of Will signed by Kai, Finkel, Chapin, Nasif, Zvai, and Mar. All on the same Force yep. of Will. It's one of the wildest things. It's literally just like listed Plus down. The names. Yep. really cool. That's cool. Um, I one of my favorites, and it's a little bit kind of a sad one. Was Columbus eighteen was team limited. Okay. It was great because one of our locals was actually on the winning team, Jacob Bow. Uh, I believe it was when he was with team out of Jersey. It was Goldfarb and Magelhaze. Hmm. Uh, but the reason I remember it, aside from that, was because I remember we were on the floor and we were floor trading, and ended up with a signed Rush Lotus. Two hours later, after we end up with this, the news is announced that Rush has passed. Oh, uh, okay. And there's like this, like, it, it's weird. It's like watching a storm come over a room. You just see, like, vendors who are, like, looking at their phones be like, oh, shit, and, like, turn to somebody else at the booth and talk to somebody else at the booth about it. Because, you know, it's weird to say now to a lot of people that are coming into the game now but chris rush i mean he is artistically and 
conceptually probably the most influential person in magic those mana symbols on your cards were drawn by chris rush. rush yeah he made the black like black lotus that's obviously his that's the most yeah. iconic card in the history of the game and it was just one of those weird twists of fate where we were like oh shit like we ended up with this two hours ago and his his signature's on it he's not going to be signing any more of these uh, you know, whatever's out there for Lotuses is out there. And there there was a legitimate debate of, do we want to hold on to this or do we want to be vendors yep. and like flip it for margin or something? And we weren't able to get out of it at that show, which is fine. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, a couple shows later, we did get out of it. And I honestly, I to this day regret getting rid of that Lotus uh, because like it was just such a surreal moment in time to have traded for that the weekend that, he passed and it was announced that this titan of the game the guy who made you know the original forests and alpha he did the original basic art even like this this guy that's at the core of this game had passed and we had this piece of history in our hands yeah and you know as a total sucker for the history and lore of the game that was just a wild moment for me and uh probably my favorite moment as a player was actually grand prix chicago it was a Legacy Grand Prix when Counterbalance was still around. Yep. Uh, 2009, because it was after GP Hulk Flash. Oh, yeah, so which, it's wicked early in the format early. Quote, yeah. But yeah, yeah. So it, it was, I mean, Hulk Flash was a disaster. I just, it was one of those events where decided at the last second, ah, I'm going to go, why not? Um, some friends tagged along, and the, the deal was you can't go, or you can go, you can pay you have to pay for gas unless you agree to one thing and i was like all right what's the one thing and i was like we have to listen to hathaway's what is love for the entire six hour drive oh jesus christ on repeat there and back and i at the time i had a jeep we had five people going last second another guy says you know what i want to go and we're like dude you're going to be on top of luggage literally in the back of my jeep and he goes it's fine okay sure Go for it. Just amazing. Same same crew went to an event later. Uh, it was a Star City in Indy. Same thing happened. Same guy, last minute, says, you know what, I want to go. We say, okay, sure. Goes into the back of the luggage, top eights the Star City, gets disqualified uh. because he has a banana leak, which is a mana leak altered to have bananas on it, that the judge in top eight, after he'd already been deck checked throughout the round, ruled was a mark card. But still hilarious because it, it's literally just like these are the meany stupid things you do with friends when you're like you know what it's gonna cost me like 50 bucks in gas or i could force all five of you to listen to halfway's yep. what is love on repeat for 12 hours yeah one of those is way better uh, we uh so you're obviously gonna go with that yep uh the pre-release for m10 i think it was actually uh a GPT back when those were a, a thing. I oh. rode down with somebody who basically they didn't do that, but everybody got a clipboard and a piece of paper with numbered lines on it, and you had to guess song and artist. And whoever got the most points uh, did not have to pay for gas. That's pretty <laughs> good. I, I uh, similar when GPTs were a thing. The last GPT <coughs> I ever went to was a modern event. Yep. And it was when America Agro existed with Delvers, Restos, and Snaps. Um, staying up until 5.36 in the morning at the hotel trying to find combusts oh, okay, for yeah. my sideboard. Fill out my deck reg. I list Glacial Chasm instead of Glacial Fortress. Fortress. Yep. Not even legal in the format. Doesn't matter. So I get deck checked. Uh, for winning into top eight. And the judge is like, hey, look, it's not a big deal. Uh, your main deck doesn't add up to 60 cards. It adds up to 59. So we're going to count everything out. And as long as like you listed all the cards right, but the count is wrong, no harm, no foul. We'll just change the number. But if there's a card in here that you didn't list, it's an automatic DQ. Yep. I'm like, all right, cool, sure. They're all there. I, I know there's no singletons in my list. So there's nothing that's off or whatever. Um, as they're doing the deck check, the head judge walks over, points to my list and goes, that says Glacial Chasm. That's a legal, rep that's a legal presentation. 
That's take that. the game loss. Just com- completely incidental, just literally happened to walk by. So yeah. for a long time, whenever I would find a glacial chasm, and this would literally be if it came to me at a buy table, if I found it in a collection, if I found it at a shop, whatever, I would acquire it however I needed to acquire it and tear it in half. So I have a box with about 100 glacial chasms that are torn in half, oh, which I just reminisced about the other day because I remember at GPKC, I sold a torn in half underground sea for $200 three years ago, and everyone thought I was crazy. And now I think I'm crazy not because I sold it for two hundred dollars, but because that's buyless for a torn in half UC. Now, here we are. There you go. Uh, you ready to go to picks? Let's do it. All right, uh, I'll go first because mine's a reup. Uh, so I'm going uh, with time reversal again uh, from M11. So uh, when I looked at this last time, we were looking at it in January, which was uh, the flat part. So we suggested buying in, you know, early on. This happened before kind of this false flag spike right here between uh, M21 uh, and Double Masters, and we see it retraces and then comes back up. So good time to buy in then. I think it's still a good time to buy in now, which is why we want to re-up, which is you know something we do every now and again. So uh, I added this back to my sheet shortly after I picked it. CK is buying it at $1.80. They're buying $22. They're buying $18 now at $2.50, so not a lot of movement there. However, the movement is really on the TCG market. So back in January, there were $63 uh, at LP or better, $2.59 market. Now we are seeing a market of $5.02, and there were about 40 copies left when I put this uh, all together. And that's why I re-upped, right? Because the market price has uh, doubled and lost about 25% of its uh, population. So EDH playability basically stays the same uh, as it did before. Let me bring this up real quick. And we're still seeing, you know, Nekasar, Logos God, uh, Yixris up here. You know, it's all standard stuff uh, for the most part. So, uh, again, this is still great in, you know, wheel slash draw seven decks. Like we saw um, Idris Maelstrom Wielder is down here, though kind of low population um, over um, the Maelstrom Wanderer. But something new is Cody now, and I'll, I'll bring this back on stocks. And this is um, kind of why I like this card. So we have uh, Cody now, and... We have a handful of other high-profile cards that kind of came with Kyle Time, and that just kind of pushes this uh, all together. So, like I said, Cody represents this kind of cas- the pseudo cascade effect, like uh, Yidris Maelstrom Wielder, and then you have Nekasar, Nibmizet Perun, and uh, Yerix, which were all which were already around when I picked this originally. And these are kind of still two sides of the same coin. It, uh, you're either looking to play large ca- uh, large spells cascade off of them refill your hand which is kind of like where the game where your commander cares about what you draw and then there are the commanders that care about what your opponents draw or niv it which floats under what you draw um, in regards to the format as a whole again this is still underpowered when you compare it to wheel of fortune time twister time spiral i.e the best wheels available but it's still extremely good in spell slinging shells because it helps refill that grip and it's a really good look for decks reliant on what you or your opponents are doing in regards to how many cards are being drawn so wheel of fortune time twister time spiral i would kind of call these like the s tier options and they've basically priced themselves out of the market right now that's kind of the difference between january and now as we've seen all this reserve list pop and a lot of this stuff is just well out of the price range for everybody else so now we need to look at the a and b tier options and that's where uh the time reversal really kind of comes in it's going to be the next bunch of these cards to fill the gap and see play um and uh, moreover, as we can see, we time track some of this stuff. It's not infrequent that WotC adds new generals into the commander format to kind of re-up interest in what this is doing. A uh, couple dates. Nivmiz of Perun was October 2018. Yerix is April 2020. With, and there was also a reprint of the Locust God in April 2020. And mm-hmm. then yeah. um, Braylon Shark. Sky Shark Rider, uh, Brawlin. I don't know how you want to pronounce this. I'll bring this up on Rec real quick. Um, but basically, whenever you discard a card, you put a plus, plus one, plus one counter on it, right? So every time you wheel, you just make it bigger. Um, so when Watsy dives into this kind of strategy, they tend to dive in pretty deep. 
And we also can't forget about the stacks aspect of this, which basically just means playing the most popular Planeswalker alongside this card, Narset Parter Avails, to block your opponents out of the game. So, again, not new overall. That was there back in January. But with uh, Cody and some of the other cards I'm going to mention, this is where we see this renewed interest. So my timeline now for this card is a little different than it was before. Um, we saw, as I mentioned, the spike with Aquaria into Double Masters, or the other way around. But uh, that was based off Rael, and eventually there was a retrace on that. Buzz died down, and it just kind of flattened. Now we're seeing a resurgence with Kaltheim, with uh, Turgrid, God of Fright, and Cody, which I already mentioned. So I'll bring up Tegrid quickly. Um, and te while Tegrid does fall under that balloon of Punisher cards, which I personally do not like, Tegrid does kind of bolster some other odds and ends like this. Uh, not a general, obviously, because you can't play time reversal, but it does go in like decks like Nekasar, etc., that do play time reversal. So we kind of have re-upped interest from there. We have Cody, uh, Vociferous Codex, which offers, like I said, that pseudo-cascade. And we also have Adrix and Nev Twin Casters from Commander 2021, which don't play immediately with time reversal in the sense that you get to create any tokens off of it just with the commander, but it does play well with the rest of that deck, refilling your hand or creating cards when you play spells or tokens when you play spells. So, right, a number of new cards have been injected into the quote-unquote wheel or quote-unquote who draws matters themes, bolstering interest and supporting organic growth. Now that we can see this is actually organic, demand coupled with the shifting of the tiers, as like I mentioned before, where wheel, time spiral, and time twister have priced themselves out, we're going to see continued growth of cards on the A and B tiers over time. My expectation for profit to buy a list based on current slope of market price was about six months at a minimum if you were to buy in today. If you bought in back in January, you can um, more than double up selling into the open market or hold out over the next few months for buy a list to catch up. Now, one thing that was interesting was I dove into the TCG player backend and there, there are near mint listings hovering around the same price as uh, LP, but when you start looking at sales, there are seven, eight, nine dollar copies selling right now for this card. So ignoring the sales information that's showing Nearman is selling for almost double, most likely attributed to TCG player direct slash cart bundling, I would expect that uh, eventually Nearmint will price itself out over the next couple of weeks, and that's where we'll actually see the jump when there's no more, you know, $4 and change near mint. That's all uh, LP. When near mint actually floors at 6 and $7, we'll see uh, a true price increase. Reprintability, I don't think it's really that high. I wouldn't expect a reprint of this card anytime soon as Watsi seems rather shy about reprinting time twister effects into standard. And generally when they do, they like to riff on it instead of reprinting. So you look at those like days undoing, <laughs> temporal trespass, on and on, right? Similarly, I wouldn't expect this in a Commander product, but I could see it in something ancillary like the Explorers of Ixalan product that brought back Time Warp, where that was kind of inoffensive and it was low population in regards to just uh, product production overall, and it was never really destined to move the needle on the market in regards to quantity of product release. So I could see it in something like that because it doesn't really disturb any kind of ecosystem that way, and it doesn't really bring eyes to one commander deck over the other like they had a problem with previously so i think we're still fairly um insulated from a reprint right now i think it's important too when you mentioned like the option tier a and b of these cards are gonna start seeing an uptick because it's similar to we've already seen uh was it reforge the soul yep you know when wheel hit its first spike four years ago uh reforge the soul hit a bit of a spike and we've seen it, but the, the difference is there's fewer wheel replacements than there are time twister replacements. You know, you've got effects like windfall, I guess, that are a pseudo wheel. Uh, but in terms of like actual discard draw sevens, there's not that many. Yep. Whereas with your time twister effects that involve shuffling and all that, there's quite a few more options. That said, again, you know, previous history is a good indicator when it comes to markets. If it happened for Wheel, it's invariably going to happen for Twister. Uh, now, you know, especially as high impact as a card like Twister is, because it can nerf graveyard strategies yep. in addition to just drawing you a fresh hand. Uh, and the fact that Blue is, well, blue, blue? Like, 
does everything makes it pretty inevitable that this kind of thing is going to happen. And I think that's, you know, when we touch on cards that just get better, the more cards they print, cards like this are a prime example. So I think the re-up is definitely worth mentioning. Like, hey, we predicted this, this happened, we're predicting we'll probably see more of the same in the future. Yep. Yeah, I want to try and stay away from uh, bringing effects like this up as picks on the cast because, like I mentioned, we're in that tier space now, and I don't think I need to cover every card in the tier. This should serve as the warning, much like with, was it Flooded Grove, the... Um, yeah. The split land. Blue-green. The filter, filter land, yeah. whatever you call it. Yeah, like, Flooded Grove was the obvious pick, but it's going to... Uh, it's applicable to all of them, right? You can sit yeah. on time reversal on EDH rec and then just view some of the cards that go alongside it and start looking at them as well and keep them in mind, so, yeah. Uh, similar to that, looking at cards that go with it and keeping cards in mind. Uh, my pick is something that goes with something that was spoiled recently. Counterspell in Modern Horizons 2, which also coincides with Wizards officially. IMA or Modern Masters? Which one? So Counterspell was printed. Oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah, sorry. I, yeah, I am picking Cryptic Command there from Iconic Masters. So the interesting thing about this is not only did they announce that Counterspell was going to be in Modern Horizons 2, they also announced officially the return of Sanctioned Magic to stores. Yep. So this is something we've been harping on. Who knows when it's going to happen, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's finally happening. So now we can start to see renewed interest in Paper Modern. Counterspell is important because a lot of people saw it as like the missing piece for modern the format was a two-mana counterspell. Mm -hmm. Blue-white control needed a two-mana counterspell. I don't think counterspell is good in the format. I think mana leak is just better because it's counterspell when it matters, except mm -hmm. in the mirror match. So the thing is, people are going to be playing blue-white because they got a new toy, right? What's something you play in blue-white? All right. Cryptic command. command. Yep. So... There was a little bit of a debate that I had internally over do I want Archmage's Charm or do I want Cryptic Command? And I opted for Cryptic specifically because its implications are almost entirely modern in EDH, whereas Archmage's Charm does see some play in fringe legacy and vintage lists. So, as shops start having, having more paper events, we're going to see what we've been saying is going to happen. Like, we're getting more of a surge on these lower end cards you know power is power that's gonna happen or reach you know spike or retrace yep. based on the market but modern cards historic cards pioneer cards for that market to exist they need in-person paper events and we're starting to get those so right now we're also coming off a little bit of a valley in the price of the iconic masters cryptic command so i think that what we're looking at is Return-wise, and this is where I'm a little bit iffy. I just wanted to get this in while it was there. So we're at about a $20 low, and we're on our way up-ish from where we were a month and a half ago. Yeah. Fine. If you can get this card for $50, I think it's great. Mm -hmm. Because I think there is a very real possibility that we do see it again in the near future, sitting at around... Mm, probably 25-ish. That said, it's not going to be something you'll be able to get out of a buy list. This is going to be something that you're going to take to a paper event. You're going to have in your trade binder. Yep. And someone's going to say, hey, can I get that cryptic command? So it, it was kind of a pick that was predicated upon the return of paper magic at the local level. Different story when GPs happen, it's fair game for anyone. Mm -hmm. But I think this is something that when events start to happen in your area and you show up with a trade binder, people may have this sitting in there and they may have just not looked at it or they may be trying to build blue-white. This is something that is going to be very liquid in the coming months as paper events happen, as this archetype starts to take prevalence again. Granted, the meta is probably a little bit too fast for it to be too good, but besides the point. I think you're looking at realistically three to four months that you'll be able to trade this out at a reasonable 20% margin. And I think it's important that to do this, you do want to keep an eye on your local meta because it does revolve around paper magic in your local area happening. Yeah. So a little bit more skeptical about it than I would be some other picks, but it's something that I definitely think is worth meriting. Similar to when I picked Dreadbore when Jace the Mind Sculptor got unbanned. And I was like, well, this is a card that's peripheral to this that could see a yep. spike. Exact same thing. People are going to build blue-white. They're going to need cryptic commands. People haven't been playing modern Forever. because it's yeah. not happening. 
so I think it's it's a good. It is, however, not a buy list out. It is very much a trade out in the next three or four months. Just something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I think it's important to call that out and to have these kinds of picks on the cast every now and again, where we know that the out isn't a buy list and. This happens every now and again with cards throughout the history of the game. The first time it happened for me was Solemn Simulacrum, where that card was a $20 bill all day long. But it was a $20 bill to players. You're never yeah. going to sell to a vendor for that, because that was never the market for it. And I think that's important to know and understand. As far as Cryptic Command is concerned, it's not just blue-white. There are other decks that are attempting to be a little more controlling, want to play a longer game that will play Cryptic Command. It doesn't have to be blue-white control. Um, On blue turns. Yep. There's that. Um, you know, I play uh, Azor Stoneblade, and while initially Cryptic Command is a better card overall than Counterspell, Counterspell fills the gap better because of the Mystic Sanctuary ban, so that is kind of like, maybe it fills the gap yeah. better. I won't know until I start experimenting with the deck again, but blue is wide open and offers a lot of opportunity, and the density of instants in Modern always also keeps the door, like shimmed open for delver yep. and mono blue delverless have been a thing they're never great but the density of hard counters in the format alongside things like ops here and visions uh and sleight of hand give you the opportunity to play a delver base list um i can't remember the name hold on i got it next to me the blue white spell blue red spell from strixhaven uh, expressive iteration etc is yes. a ton of play in the for in uh almost every format right now. I think I've seen it in Legacy lists, right? So it's stuff like that that is, again, ancillary to Cryptic Command. That card can be great with Cryptic Command. It could be the return of Jeskai Control, and that's a deck that relied on Cryptic uh, back uh, way back when. It, it enjoyed juggling permanence. It enjoyed the card draw. It had odd loops that it could use, etc. And this is a card that I would love to keep in my binder for players because there's always somebody that's looking for cryptic command it's also an edh card because it does a ton yeah there's four modes on it yeah sure it's no mystic confluence in that regard because you only get to choose two but at the end of the day it's still cryptic command and it's still an amazing card and yeah yeah looking at the stocks graphs for all versions of cryptic command there's really after the first reprint no additional reprints that tanked the price of this card. It always rebounds to be 20 or more. Yep, depending on the on the version, the art, etc. Right, like the yeah. little differences. So buying in at any point, even if it's just to be binder fodder, is still not a bad look for something like this. So, solid. Yep, yeah, I've agreed. Uh, but I think that's going to be it for this week, everybody. So we will see you next week for more chats. Uh, I do have a conversation coming up with one of the vendors in the podcast Discord to discuss the Channel Fireball uh, new market space. Uh, so hopefully yeah. in the next week or two, I will be able to get that done. But in the meantime, we are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, we have a Patreon that you can find under MTG Cabalcast. If you just give it a quick search. And the podcast is available on Audible, Stitcher, SoundCloud, SoundCloud, sorry, not SoundCloud, uh, <laughs> Google, Google Podcasts. Our mixtape is, though. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, we just, It's called Rule Zero and, yeah. and Apple Podcasts. But I am at Halt. I am Reptar on Twitter. If you want to chat, you are... At Thirsty Sizzler. And we'll see you next week.